0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek, live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, September 17th, 2021, and this is episode 33B. On this episode, as it is a standard B episode, we're gonna start with going over just a couple of pieces very briefly of news before we get into the standard Friday comic book picklist, which are things that I enjoyed or thought noteworthy to mention. Uh, that came out this week on the 15th for most things, or the 14th for DC Comics. After we do the pick list, I will talk Titans, Episode 8, which was titled Home, and then we will wrap things up with with What If, Episode 6, which was titled What If Eric Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark? Both very good episodes, and there were a lot of really good comics that came out this week that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, Before we get started here, as usual, I will be putting in the little time codes, um, timestamps, whatever, for the uh, different sections of the podcast in the description, because that seems to be popular, so I will keep doing that. but in the meantime, uh, you can find me online, my usual little intro, you can find me online on Instagram. My Instagram is Anna with the comics, but yes, my name is Anna and I have comics. <laughs> my Twitter is Savage She Geek because sensational was too many letters. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com and I just, my cat is sticking her arm under the door. It's my cat's birthday. Got to add that in here. She's four years old today. Her name is Lucifer Sabrina. We call her Lucy or Lulu or Lululemon or little Buttonug nug fill out of somebody's butt. Anyway, um, <laughs> as I was saying, yeah, you can find my website, com, which is where I put um, various things, including writing from what I basically do on the podcast now. I used to be just write and put on the website. So that is all still on the website, archived there, if you are interested in going back and reading things. I am embarrassingly behind on the pod notes. That's really something that I should focus on doing this weekend, getting caught up on. Um, but I do tend, <laughs> I'm behind on it, but I do put up the podcast notes that I take through the week, things that I want to discuss. And it's nine o'clock things that I want to discuss and, um, don't want to get too off track of unless alarms go off and distract me off oh, the podcast. Um, I, I keep all these notes to go through it when I record and, uh, to make sure I hit everything that I want to hit and I put them on the website or at least I'm behind on putting them on the website. Um because I want it to be accessible for people who would rather read the news and everything that's going on in comics and comics media, or for people who are hearing impaired and um, would like to keep up but would have to read it. So that would be a way for them to keep up with it as well. I don't do any... Uh, necessarily do very much editing to it. So um, sometimes it's really clear and sometimes it's probably not. So, but it is just the notes that I go through on the podcast. Um, I also have, as somebody recently commented there, and I was happy to see that, um, the reading orders of some of my favorite female characters in comics from a variety of publishers. The two that are completed are for Madeline Pryor and for Clea, who is a Doctor Strange character traditionally. Uh, Madeline Pryor is going to be popping back up here in Marvel. December, it's starting to look like. (laughs) Um, So if you want to know about her, I would definitely recommend checking all of that out. I've basically gone through every single issue that she appears in. As I've read all of her appearances front to back probably three times now. (laughs) Um, I go through all of the appearances that she has and summarize what happens each time she appears to be like just a summary of her character's history in general. So um, if you would like to catch up on knowing her, that is there for you as well. Also on my website are links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include YouTube, where I also post action figure review videos, the latest of which was the SH Figuarts Arts Beerus um, comparing him with the kind of lower end shvr's version of beerus, two different versions you can get out there. So watch the video to see which one you want to, we want to put money into. Um, the next thing that i'm going to be putting on the the youtube (laughs) for review videos of that sort is going to be the Haslab sentinel whenever that decides to show up, because I think we got tracking two weeks ago. It was like the first or the second of September we got tracking for it and it hasn't moved. So um, a lot of people are getting their sentinels and we're hoping that ours will be showing up soon and there's not any transportation issues as there have been all over the world. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have a little bit of struggles at this point. finding time between the job that i now have and doing the podcast The podcast is a passion project um i it's not something that i really make money off of right now um but if i was to be making money off of it in any way then i would be able to um put more time and effort into it and less into my traditional day job uh so that being said uh, i do have a podcast patreon you can find it on patreon under sensational she geek you can do um i don't know if they do one time one-time donations, but they do, um, it's like a monthly subscription kind of thing that you can do for whatever amount you feel like, and it's completely unnecessary to, uh, give any money to the podcast. I will never charge to listen to the main podcast, so don't worry about any of that. This is all just optional stuff if you would like to support the podcast. Um, so there's the Patreon, there's also the Kofi, K-O-F-I, and you can find me on there under SheGeek, I can do one-time donations, the whole idea behind it being give this creator, you know, $5, $3, so they can go buy a cup of coffee while they work, because that's the whole idea behind it. And I also have a Redbubble store where I have some fun little, um, texts, I guess you would say, text designs, (laughs) um, signs and t-shirts and things. Redbubble, you can make one design and put it on anything. So that's what I've got there. (laughs) Just a couple of things, um, in case that is something more or less what you would like to do to um show your support for the podcast otherwise of course as usual the best way to support the podcast would of course to be just sharing the podcast um whatever the, whatever service you use to listen to the podcast you can like you can subscribe you can share you can comment yeah whatever the whatever the things you, you can interact with the podcast interact with it so that other people are more likely to see it and interact with it as well. In the news we only have two really short things um, about two television projects that will be coming. who knows when because they are both extremely early in development. the first one. <laughs> Um, it's kind of funny, uh, as a spinoff of the Matt Reeves, the Batman movie, which has yet to come out, but does have really, really good early reviews. Um, as a spinoff of that, there is going to be a Penguin TV series starring Colin Farrell, who does play the Penguin in the Batman, uh, spinoff or, sorry, in the Batman, and he will be playing him in the spinoff too. Uh, and this will be on HBO Max, and it is supposed to be something like a, quote, Scarface-like origin story. <laughs> so that that makes me feel interesting. <laughs> um, no disrespect to Colin Farrell or Matt Reeves or anything like that. Um, Coswold Obelpot, Copple. <laughs> Woo. Oswald Cobblepot. I, I messed that one up, didn't I? Oswald Cobblepot. Uh, Cob- oh, wait, now I can't stop. Oswald Cobblepot. <laughs> there we go. That is the penguin. Um, and he is not really a character who I would really... <laughs> He's not the kind of character who I would have, especially like, what, 10, 15 years ago, uh, guess Colin Farrell would be playing, or really anybody would be taking too seriously, but then again, look at what's happened with the Joker. A lot of people taking him way too seriously, but, um... Yeah, this is um interesting news, and that's really all I have about it, is that it's apparently in the works. <laughs> oh, I do also have that it will be executive produced by uh, the two guys who are executive producing The Batman, who are, of course, Matt Reeves, and the other one is Dylan Clark. So assuming that The Batman is a success, then I guess we'll, we'll all want to see The Penguin TV show? Is it going to be called The Penguin? <laughs> Is it going to be called Oswald or Cobblepot? Because as far as I understand, he's not going to be the penguin necessarily in the Matt Reeves Batman movie. He's going to be Oswald Cobblepot. Um, And if you've seen the trailer, which at this point I think most people have, uh, if not, go watch it. Um, He looks, you do see him very briefly, and he looks like a younger penguin who is maybe not the crazy crime, crime lord that we know him from the comics as nowadays, but, um, I don't know. (laughs) This is interesting news and that's, that's, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, similarly, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with this one because I'm a lot more, I, I, I I don't really care if the Penguin series does well or not, but if this one, you know, assuming that it comes to fruition, it'll have to do well, um, because it is a live action She-Ra series that is in development at amazon of all places um it's apparently going to be uh not connected with the animated tv show that recently came out which did take the traditional she-ra story where she was the let's see she was the sister or the twin or something like that of prince adam who was stolen away by the evil witch um and then uh, you know, he, he, because she is brainwashed and he comes and saves her and gives her the sword and she becomes She-Ra. But in the animated show, they did it a little bit differently. Um, you could technically argue that she's still the sister of, uh, Prince Adam, because you never really find out who her family was, if I recall on the animated show, the recent one. Um, but it is also, Uh, she's not brainwashed, she's, you know, she's in that army willingly, and there's no He-Man mentioned, period. So, um, that's, that's kind of how the animated show went. If they're doing things differently than the animated show, um, I wonder if they are going to be going back to that kind of original origin that she had, where she was connected with He-Man, um, but mostly... (laughs) Mostly, I'm just concerned about it being trash because, you know, um, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed the He-Man series. I don't know if I ever talked about it on this show, but the Master of the- it's not a He-Man series, that was the whole thing. It was called Master of the- Masters of the Universe, the Kevin Smith one that just came out, um, part one of it. I gotta remind you, that was part one. There's gonna be another part- which is most likely going to have a lot more He-Man in it, so hold your, don't get your panties in a twist. Um, I really enjoyed that. But what I'm, what I'm getting to here is because the main character of it was a female Masters of the Universe, Master of the Universe, um, there was a good amount of hate and a good amount of people trying to claim that the show was... Um, oh gosh, here's a better example. I posted this to my Instagram story a few days ago because it was hilarious and sad. I guess there are there is a certain sect of the internet that doesn't like the idea of this whole She-Hulk show coming out um, because they think that it's disrespectful to the character of the Hulk, um, and you're stomping on Stan Lee's grave because he created the Hulk as a boy for a reason. <laughs> not knowing, (laughs) I suppose, that Stan Lee created She-Hulk. Savage She-Hulk number one, written by Stan Lee, with art by John Buscema. Buscema. Please don't shoot me for not knowing how to pronounce it. I know his name. That's what matters. (laughs) Um, But that was Stan Lee there, guys. So, um, please stop with the... Oh, I hate all these female remakes of Man-Things. No, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. It's just not made for you. Um, and just suck that up and accept it for once. But that's my concern about the she series, now that I've gone on about that for long enough. Um, it could... I, I want it to be excellent, obviously. Um, but as with many things, who knows? It could be... a flaming pile of trash. <laughs> Sometimes that kind of happens with these streaming shows, but that's life. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with the rest of the podcast. We had a lot of really, really good stuff coming out of a lot of different publishers this week, and we have a lot to go through, so uh, we'll get started here in a second. But I wanted to stop and note something first. Um, There were a couple of specifically Marvel issues this week where the art was looking very rushed which is super decidedly to blame the publisher not at all the artist I think we all know at this point that there is a really really big problem of overworking especially for artists in the big two and having crazy deadlines and um, not giving them enough time to really have any kind of quality of life while they do their work Um, and it's only really gotten worse very recently Like, in recent years, it's only gotten worse, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, it's genuinely upsetting, I have to say, to see these creators who I support and who I, well, who we as readers are, you know, we're we're aware that they have a certain level of, um... A certain level they hold themselves to with the art they would like to put into comics. That's That makes sense. That's called having pride in your work. They If they did not have any of that, they would never put any effort into anything. It would always look really trashy. This doesn't look trashy, it just looks a little bit rushed. And it makes me really sad because they're having to put out a, a less than stellar product because their bosses... this being a really really high up problem not something that even editorial can probably do anything about um but their bosses don't give them enough time or resources to get the job done in the amount of time they need it's (laughs) I follow, uh, the artist Megan Hetrick on Patreon and she has a discord that, uh, patrons are all a part of with her in there. And it's all very casual and friendly. Um, but I get really good insights into, especially the art side of the comic creating community. And, um, just, she doesn't do a lot of art with Marvel anymore because when she does do art with Marvel, it tends to be, We need this in two days (laughs) or something to that extent where um, with her just as a primarily cover artist, you can see how that would get real problematic really fast when you have interior artists who are potentially working on multiple issues a month who now have to double down and either make sacrifices in their personal life in their quality of material that they put out or both because there just isn't the time to do it all it's just not possible so whenever i notice these things which um the issue specifically that i did notice it in i'll mention it when i get there trial of magneto number two um and the other one was marauders number 24. now it's also worth noting that these are both House of X, whatever you want to call it. This is both the, the the mutant, the X-Men side of things at Marvel. So potentially this is, at the time, just a particularly bad problem on that side of things because of various changes going on there. Um, but whatever it is, it's not fair to the artists. It's not fair to the readers necessarily. And it's the publisher doing nothing but... Um, that being that meme with the person on the bike sticking the stick in the bike pegs and falling. Um, (laughs) They're doing it to themselves because they're not giving their creators enough time to put out the best product they could. But anyway, I just wanted to note that before we get into this stuff because comics are so much fun, but they're not necessarily they're definitely not an unproblematic media for a lot of reasons there's environmental factors you know there's obviously um as subsec has brought up again in the industry recently there's a lot of uh pay discrimination and things like that um just not taking care of your creators comics are not an unproblematic industry by any means um and i think as fans of this medium we have to be fair in taking into account taking into account all sides of it the the good the bad and the ugly with that said let's start talking about and i don't have any really in order this week um some of these things i'm going to talk about a lot more than others and some you know, whatever, it'll it'll be fun. Um, first, we're going to talk about Eternals: Thanos Rises. Now, this was a kind of middle step between um, Kieran Gillen's first what was it? First six issues of Eternals, and what will be the next? What I imagine six issues. Um, the first six issues established certain things for new and old readers to kind of be on the same page for the Eternals very easily. Um, And brought things to a certain point and now the second issue has filled in a lot of information on how um, Really how Thanos is connected to the Titans is is how this was If you couldn't figure that out by the title Um, And then the next issues of Eternals are going to take place with well starting at least with Thanos being the eternal prime being the leader of the eternals so that's that's going to be pretty wild so we get to see um if you haven't read the series um thanos rises thanos thanos rising um i think it was only six or so issues absolutely fantastic series goes through the birth of thanos um, the young adult, the, the, the you know the childhood, the young adult life, and how he has this obsession with death and how that kind of all affects his life and his relationships and stuff through his whole existence. Um, and so this connects to a lot of that. so it's it's a really good kind of backstory to have um that this issue and though that series tie together very, very nicely. so um we knew we knew the, the the father of Thanos we knew was um Alars and he as we see in this he is an eternal um and Thanos's mother in this we meet, we find is Suisan who is also an eternal they were both cast out Sui-san for old long time ago reasons and Alars because he wanted to go against the norm and have um, Eternals kind of figure out how to breed. None of them are bred. They were all brought into creation at the point that they are at, um, and never age, you know, they they cannot have children. They are the status quo. So Alaris wanted to change the status quo and there was this whole big war that started um, by him basically, (laughs) and They end up uh, kicking him out in the end, and wiping all the memories of the rest of the Eternals, so they don't know whose side of the war they were on, um, and nobody holds grudges, which is kind of a funny way of dealing with problems, but okay. Um... So they're both cast, they're both outcasts, and so he goes and he finds her where she is living on Titan, which is a nothing planet. So they uh, decide to team up and build a society there together, eventually making a deal with the god Kronos (laughs) to bypass their inability to have children with one another. Um, And so the two of them end up having a child, and that child is Thanos. Um, There's a little bit more to it in Thanos Rises, or sorry, in Thanos Rising, the series, um, where you learn that his father was doing all kinds of experimentation on his pregnant mother and his fetus self. So um, there was a little bit more to it, not just the fact that they shouldn't have been breeding. Because remember, Thanos also has a brother, uh, Eros, who they kind of don't really mention, but kind of reference in this, um, and there isn't really an explanation of Eros's existence in this, uh, which is kind of interesting, and I wonder if they're gonna explain that at any point, um, because as far as I know, Eros is the son of both the parents that Thanos are the son, Thanos is the son of, so, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting but my whole thought on that is basically eros came out fine and then thanos came out all messed up because of the experimentation that we see happening in thanos rising and i guess that's that works for me um so thanos obviously it becomes thanos Um, and as punishment for their crimes of having a baby, (laughs) that was why they, that was, they specifically were not meant to have children and now they had children and well, well, we told you so. Um, so as, as punishment, they are put into exclusion. Um, so exclusion for the Eternals is whenever you die, you are brought back. But, um, if you're not brought back, you're put into exclusion, which is basically just like into holding. You're just kind of you're not going to exist for a while until they decide to bring you back Um, so i guess that for the two of them they bring them back and they put them in basically jail cells Um, i guess there might be multiple different forms of exclusion or ways to understand it maybe Um, but alars wants to speak to his wife and she refuses to speak to him or see him uh, and and even says that she wishes that they'd never been born so that's Remember, she um, when Thanos was born, she looks at him and she sees death and she tries to kill him. Um, and she kind of loses her mind in that moment. So she knew as soon as she saw him that he was going to be as evil as he was going to be. Um, and so she could never forgive her husband for that. Um, so for her husband, they get, put him in a room where they add a single pixel of light to the, the 360 degree kind of screen that's around him. They add a single pixel of light for every death caused by Thanos until he goes blind with his eyes getting burnt out. That's pretty nuts. Um, And so the issue kind of ends with this very spooky premonition of sorts um, that says, If Thanos were to find out the only way to destroy the womb that bore him was to destroy the planet itself. Um... That's going to be a little dark because, of course, if his parents are in exclusion, they're being held at the center of the planets uh, because the planet, in a sense, is the machine that keeps bringing them back and whatnot. But um uh, so Eternals, Thanos Rising, um Rises, I keep saying Rising because it's Thanos Rises versus the Thanos Rising series, tongue twisted, but really, really satisfying. Um, I love how Kieran Gillen sticks with using the kind of uh, blue, or I guess I would say black pages the same way that Hickman utilizes the white pages for information in the X-Men stuff for him right now. Um, They do the similar thing over with the Eternals for, um, for Kieran Gillen with black with blue lettering, and it looks really good, and it's kind of a nice contrast to the different uh, worlds that these characters and groups of characters come from. Marauders number 24 by Gary Duggan and Phil Noto, as I did mention, it was super clear that Phil Noto had to do a lot of rushing on this, cutting a lot of corners. His interiors on comics are usually some of the most stunning things because he does all of his own line work and coloring, but this issue was... It looked like he only got halfway through the process, through his standard process of artwork before he had to turn the pages in, which is really upsetting they didn't give him enough time to put in uh, his full effort there, so, uh, but it's still a really good issue. It focuses a lot on Emma and Kate, um, and those are characters who, you know, are what we should all be fairly familiar with, and so it's pretty clear when, um, when he's kind of, cutting corners, like I said, to, to get things done faster. And it's, it, it was still really good. Um, but there's been something with this issue that's been happening for a minute now, um, that I really, this, this series, I mean, that I really, really enjoy. Um, I mentioned it before, I think the last two issues that have come out, and that's that it has kind of become the women of the Hellfire Club just kicking butt not even really without lifting a finger. (laughs) We had uh, the issue where Emma tells um, Sebastian Shaw that Lord Chantal never died, which was a long, long standing injustice that is now completely fixed. Um, And then we had another issue with Emma just being a total boss. And now we have this issue, where it's Emma and Kate, and they're just even using Shaw a little bit as a helper there. He's usually not really on their side for things, but when it comes to the Hellfire uh, trading group, he has to back them up because that's his name too in there um, and his profits and all that. So, um, so it was really nice to see them kind of on the same page again. I have heard a few people complain that they don't like or rather that they miss Emma being always at people's throats, like Jean and Kate and every- That's so stupid! Why would you want that? This is so much more satisfying to see these people who have these full character arcs come to finally the one thing that they have in common, which is being mutants. Like, doesn't that make sense? I love it, and I love that she has had this- Emma specifically has had this amazing arc of- literally arriving as a villain and terrorizing Kitty Pride and now they're teammates and she's her mentor and they're close friends it's it's so lovely i just, i just female friendship is something that we do not appreciate enough in media um but the reason that marauders was truly fantastic um was actually just the last page or so um I'm really excited for this because after her, what, one, two appearances she had, Lord Chantal is back. She has returned. She is in front of the X Men, the HQ, I guess, in New York. And I have no idea what's going to happen with her here, but I hope that she gets hers. I hope that, um, everything goes really really well whatever she's here for she gets whatever she wants and i just totally support her on her journey Charles magneto number two was the other one that had the kind of the the rushed art issues i'm a huge fan of lucas werneck um especially when he draws magic which was not in this issue at all but um there were some parts that just seemed like he that's just like with phil noto in uh the marauders issue it just seemed like had to kind of stop partway through the artistic process and turn it in as it was um which is a little unfortunate but it was still really beautiful one legitimate critique i think i have for Wernick's art in this issue though he can't draw caps in america worth a shit (laughs) every single panel that had cap in it his head was like a little pin on this gigantic body (laughs) it reminded me a lot of the Rob Liefeld cap if you know what I'm if you get it if you you know what I'm talking about um but this issue was not a whole lot of forward movement it kind of just got us it was kind of just this issue was I felt like this issue was being used as a tool to get us um to a certain point um which is really what comics, every, every comic is, I guess, but, um, it kind of felt like a lot of the elements story-wise were a little bit rushed as well, or, or kind of smoothed over to try and, um, to try and get it to the next point. We have the Avengers showing up, uh, to collect Wanda's body, however, uh, there's issues with Wanda's body, so for whatever reason, they, like, um, brain, they do something with Magneto. It's, um, Rachel? No, not Rachel. Hope? It's Hope, who, um, she does something with Magneto to tell him to go keep the Avengers from getting to Scarlet Witch's body, because her body's, like, being absorbed into Krakowa or something. Um, there's not, there's still a little bit of confusion with what's going on, like physically with her body, because I thought Kyle had been sucked into whatever was happening with her as well, but then we see him in this issue attacked by Magneto. Um, So that's the sort of thing that I mean by some of the elements of it seemed a bit rushed, uh, don't match up, but that's fine. The overall story is the point here. And the overall story, when it gets to the end of the issue, we have Magneto basically against the Avengers and the X-Men and he kind of shouts at them what do you want me to say you want me to hear that I killed her fine I killed Scarlet Witch and then Scarlet Witch pops up and says well that's not true <laughs> um so uh, I still think it has something to do with her being a nexus being I think Whoever killed her is messing with Magneto. I think they are possibly making him think he killed her. Um, or possibly have a notion that, oh shit, maybe I did do that. Something like that. I think, I think he's getting messed with. Um, and potentially this Wanda that we're meeting is not the real Wanda and is also just another layer of I'm messing with Magneto. Um... I'm not sure, but I, I definitely think that that's, that's, it's, this is not just going to be, um, you know, now that I think about it, if you put that into to the, your brain, think about trial of Magneto, it becomes a different kind of trial, you know, it becomes a trial of wills of a sorts, um, and that kind of would make sense as well, because we obviously know. As I've been saying since before the first issue came out, we obviously know this isn't gonna be six issues of them trying to figure out, did did Magneto kill Wanda? That's not gonna be what this whole six issue thing is gonna be, that would be ridiculous and so drawn out and boring. Um, so possibly the trial of Magneto is gonna be more like Magneto having to survive through all of this to get to the truth. Um, that's kind of where I'm, where I feel like I'm at with theories with this right now. I would love to hear other people's theories with it though, because, um, it is, it is a kind of a cool, it's, it's a kind of a big deal, whatever, this is going to end in December, which is right when Hickman is going to be signing off of all of his X-Men stuff, which I'm still mad about. I'm mad at Marvel about it, not at Hickman about it. I'm actually mad at the other X creators about it because they didn't want to move forward and he was ready to move forward. And so that's why he's stepping back and there's a possibility he won't come back and finish it, which would be so sad. Um, But in any case, (laughs) this is uh, one of the big things that we've been waiting to see play out in Hickman's whole X-Men journey. So um, whatever errors minor or bigger as they may be it's worth overlooking extreme carnage agony is the last symbiote the the last symbiote issue of the extreme carnage story there's going to be one more issue i believe and that is going to be extreme carnage omega Uh, for this issue. I really, really, really loved the art. I could not get enough of the art. That being said, there are two artists. It was the first half of the issue. The art in the first half, it reminded me of Stephanie Hans if she drew manga. Um, I really, really love that. As for Agony, um, she seems to be actually kind of on Carnage's team here. Um, Very much a middle ground character of, I'm here to do whatever I need to do to survive. Um, And if that means teaming up with Carnage for her survival, then that seems to be why she would be doing that. Um, Her specific symbiote powers and attacks are really, really nasty. She, She like spits acidic venom Um, in a really cool scene she actually told a mugger to smile the way that you know they would to her (laughs) it'd be pretty if you smile more you know like that um he told him to smile more before ripping his face off as she melted it with her tongue really really brutal completely badass um i just i kind of i'm not really sure where she's gonna land in the end of this because it seems that her um her loyalties would definitely be able to be swayed also she has a collection of dead person parts um in her apartment apparently um and she's got an arm in this issue she has an arm um that she like she looks at agony and pats her on the head she's like you know popping out of her shoulder just pats her on the head and is like it's okay for are eating the other arm <laughs> but it would have been cool if we had the pair like what? <laughs> Just like kind of really out there with the brutality, but it fit and it was a really really fun issue. Um this extreme carnage series is definitely turning out to be a lot more fun than I expected, but that being said, I have to say it's the um the Phil not Philip Kennedy Johnson. Um who is it that writes the scream stuff? This was Alyssa Wong. Um, and well, whoever it was um, whoever it is that does the scream issues. The two of them have, have done two issues each, I believe, of this mini-event thing, um, and they're, they've definitely been the best of the issues, so uh, I hope the two of them keep up with the symbiote writing in Marvel. Superman the Authority number three of four had a bunch of really funny lines um superman saying well basically just calling himself bait (laughs) which was funny (laughs) um i just thought it was funny (laughs) i don't know uh somebody i don't remember who was referring to superman saying he's famous for his pecs and his biceps not his iq (laughs) also very funny um and then enchantress saying after his suicide squad in my underwear, this group is like the Brady Bunch. Also really funny. <laughs> um, the, the snark. It's some really good snark that Grant Morrison has got down in this and I love it. Um, in this issue, we've got now Superman, Manchester Black, Midnighter and Apollo, Steel, Enchantress, and now they are at least heading to get Light Ray. Um, when we see her she's about to kill herself (laughs) real dark but uh someone there stops her disguised as a friend apparently but is actually some kind of foe of darkness that she gets enveloped in Um, and then apollo and the team come in bringing light with them and they get attacked by some members of the ultra humanite army Uh, who have been awoken and Superman ends up taking on the ultra humanite who has taken on Grundy's form for some reason. (laughs) So Superman fighting Solomon Grundy slash ultra humanite. (laughs) There's only one more issue of this. And I have to kind of assume that some of the stuff happening later this year involving um, Superman and Batman and the authority uh, has to be related to this because this has only got one issue left and while the issues do feel a little bit longer than their standard comic book There's no way that I mean unless I don't know. There's no way it's gonna get wrapped up in one issue completely But then again, we are talking about Grant Morrison who is a legend for a good reason um, So whatever happens in this last issue. I have absolutely no doubt that it will be fun and satisfying um potentially get you excited for those other things that this may be connected to um or it'll just be a fun last series for grant morrison at dc because this is their last series for their last work period for um the last work for grant morrison at dc so if you are a fan you will be wanting to read this first number one got kicked off this week as well and i gotta say it was actually pretty good um we had the first vampirella we get introduced to um her world has kind of been destroyed and she uh goes off and starts a journey through the multiverse being taken about different worlds by a character called the writer or no the artist which i think is hilarious because the artist it's like very third wall you get it um and then we meet this other vampirella who is eh, kind of more or less the vampirella that we all know and love um except this vampirella was born of lilith which is canon but this lilith was of earth um adam's first wife the same way that lilith from the bible was um and that's why she just birthed vampirella who was i guess the Queen of the vampires or something I don't know but um, this this Vampirella is of Earth and of Lilith um, so she is approached by um, the, the Vampirella who was of that other world who has apparently been going around warning Vampirella's that this creature is coming through and killing all of them um, and so she warns this Vampirella before sacrificing herself to let her escape And then she finds out that the character who is going around killing all the vampirellas is herself also a vampirella, Um, which wasn't super surprising because I felt like it was pretty clear, but um, there's some good... Interesting roots to the story. Um, I will 100% be getting the Megan Hedrick covers Which I recommend you to check out as well because they are so stunning um, As most of her work is especially her vampirella work. Um, so definitely check that out. This is probably I would say similarly along the same level as Sonya Versal um, This isn't gonna be something that's super serious. This is just gonna be a fun story. It's a little bit ridiculous a little bit out there and a lot sci-fi porcelain number two is the maria La- another maria lave project um it's a little bit al- well it's a lot alice in wonderland a little bit mad max a little bit um a little bit labyrinth actually um and a little bit little red riding hood there's probably a few other things in there that you could name but those are the ones that I can think of um, really really loved the story it's this young girl who was going to the city to the market or something like that for her for her aunt or her grandmother um, and she finds this little dollhouse and it kind of traps her inside um, and then she meets this this other child who is in there with her and in this issue we meet the child is Axel um, and Axel reports that if the what what was her name the stitcher or whatever the 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 lady who is like in charge of this facility um if she catches you she'll make you into you'll slowly turn it turn into a porcelain doll and so she has all these doll parts and stuff and presumably that is the parts of the other children that she has turned into dolls through the years um so most of this issue is this androgynous axel character is taking um, the, the young girl through the dollhouse um, trying to keep ahead of the dolls that are chasing them um, while also proving to her that there is no way to get out of here no matter what doors and exits you may see it's all a trick it's all a trap everything here is out to kill you um, and that's really all we have with the series so far. I think this is another one that is being reprinted in the English for the first time. That was taken from a, um, is she Spanish? I believe she's Spanish from Spain, Spanish, um, Spanish graphic novel. Cause the way that the, the ending of each issue kind of cuts is a little bit abrupt. Um, and it makes me think that it could have been all one thing that's been portioned out. I'm not really sure though, either way, it's really fun, um, and I, I definitely recommend it if you're into kind of creepy, spooky stories. And it times out really well, because it's like, you know, Halloween's coming up, so boom. Maneaters the Curse number three. <laughs> this was Chelsea Kane and her team doing what they did with uh, an issue of the first series of Maneaters, which is where they have a single issue that is a... For the first season of Vanities, I believe it was a pamphlet. This issue is a issue of Witchcraft for Children magazine, which is not a, it's not a magazine that exists. Uh, is not a publisher of any kind or anything like that that exists. None of the stuff referenced in it exists. It's literally all spoof ads and um, spoof articles, It may sound ridiculous but this shit is so funny the amount of work that this team had to put into this thing to make it like a full fake issue of a magazine like that's a lot of work they had to create a full issue of a magazine that's a lot of work i'm sure anybody who's in magazine publishing can attest to that um and it's very admirable that they were able to do this and from what i could tell i I don't think i got every detail but from what i can tell they 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 get they stick to the world 100 percent because this is not our world that these stories for man eaters take place in spy island either who was which was also by the same creative team this is a different reality altogether <laughs> um and the like snarky um humorous dry humor way that everything happens in this issue included is just so incredibly stellar. This is the kind of comics I wanna read the day I die. Um, so please buy this so Chelsea Kane will continue making comics. The Mighty Valkyries number five was the finale issue of this series. Uh, we finally are, we're just down to Mattia de Lully, which I'm sure I mispronounced on art, um, completely stunning, what I like to call cinematic art style. Um, basically in this issue, after the big, the beginning of a big blowout that we had in the last issue here, everybody shows up in hell to fight Fafnir, which I'm probably mispronouncing, who is the dragon, who is like a nephew or something of Hela, um, who used to rule hell. Um, the character more who has been stabbed by, um, Craven uh, the, the, the Hunter, I was gonna say kane the Conqueror, Craven <laughs> the Hunter, um, is actually rescued by Loki and brought to hell, uh, where the poison is removed so that he can, you know, do normal things. He turns himself into their wolf form and eats everybody there all the asgardians at least including fafnir and then with jane's encouragement ends up spitting out hella Carnilla, and the cow of life or whatever the first cow and loki all of whom end up living um it would seem that the three baby gods Carnilla accidentally stole it seems that she kind of willed them into being stolen um Kind of accidentally stole them when she was willing them into existence, but this was willing them to existence. She was just willing them to her presence more. Um, it seems that they have been able to go back to their parents in New York uh, to be watched over by Jane and Loki, and Loki is seen putting prop- protective spells over their apartment to make sure that there is as little trouble here as possible. So then Jane and Runa at the end of the issue go off with. Wilhelmina, who tells some story about not wanting to give birth, or trying not to give birth before crossing over the border. Um, I don't know who that is. Who's Wilhelmina? When, where did she come from? What have I forgotten? Wilhelmina? What the f- Wilhelmina? Who was Wilhelmina? Whatever it is, I hope we see more of Jane and Ruta soon. Harley Quinn, eat, kill, bang. Eat, bang, kill, tour whichever order, you know, um, this was really, really cute. Uh, one thing, if you didn't like the TV show, you are definitely not going to like this because it's kind of, I mean, it's like the TV show on comics rules. Is that even possible? The TV show is on comics rules. I don't know. It was, it's just, um, it was super cute. It's all about Harley, uh, trying to make sure that Ivy is like good and everything after, leaving the wedding ivy is not good ivy is having some serious issues with having to um accept the fact that she has left kiteman at the altar and um feels like she will never be loved and accepted by anything blah blah blah. it's very it's it's a very tough um mental situation that she's going through and harley is harley but she does care so Um, Hopefully she will continue to do her best. And I guess this is kind of going to be a pit stop between seasons two and three. Um, We are still getting season three, I think, coming in the spring of 2022. So uh, keep a lookout for that. In the meantime, you do have this series. I know it has come out digitally already. I am aware. But I am not doing that. I just want to read it paperback because that's how I do things um I don't know why the voice change there was necessary but I really enjoyed this the tone matched the tone of the show really really well and so did the art um just giving it a tiny bit more of cartoony like comics cartoony elements to make it fit a comic so really really good Black Widow number 11 was excellent. I have to give kudos to the artist for doing a great job of mimicking exactly how Elena Casagrande does her um, action sequences that she's very much become known for, but I just can't help but wonder what kind of magic she would be able to pull in if she had been able to make this issue herself. Um, I know she is not permanently off of Black Widow by any means. She is, I think, doing, like, every third issue or something now, which is kind of disappointing because her art is one of the most beautiful things to look at in all goodness, but um, you know, this was, this was really good art as well. It fit. And I am loving that we have this team now of these four women working together. It's Black Widow, it's White Widow, it's Anya Carazon, who is Aranya, and it's the new girl whose name I don't remember. (sighs) Lucy? Was her name Lucy? Whatever it is. Um, she has cool electricity powers and Anya obviously is a spider girl um, it's a really cool team. It's, it's some characters, specifically White Widow and Anya, who we don't really see too much of, even in Widow's line of work. Um, and then this new character who seems to fit in really well as being kind of a counterpart to Aranya, um, being of similar age. So, uh, in this issue, <laughs> they were fighting this, these pair of villains, or at least this was the Widows. The Widows were part- fighting this pair of villains, I suppose they're villains, who are called the twins. Um, There's some kind of circus act where they are twins, obviously, who can shift their body mass between them. So one of them can be really, really beefed up and the other one can be kind of scrawny or they can both be kind of middle ground. Um, And it's something that they do instantaneously during fights to keep people on their toes, which was really, really well portrayed in the art, it was made very, very clear what was going on. This was something that I honestly think 30, 40 years ago, at this point, we'll have to say 40 years ago, like the eighties or even the seventies, this would not have been a thing that could have happened in comics. Um, Having these two characters with these powers, there would have had to been so much textual explanation and exposition about it. To try and explain it <laughs> it would have taken up the whole damn page um so with with modern comic art being as excelled as excel having excelled as much as it has um i think i i honestly think that's how that worked and again kudos to the artists for doing a really fantastic job you're not Elena casa grande but you're still really good Fantastic Four Life story number four, which I believe is of six total issues. Uh, this was the 90s. <laughs> Good old 90s. And this issue, for the most part, was focused on Ben Grimm. It was him narrating, for the most part. Um, we have Sue is broken up with Namor. We have Reed. is actually an old man, but stretches his skin to look young. Um, we have oh we have uh shuri marrying the little richard the little richard oh god that's terrible um servitor you know their son whose name i'm blinking on right at the moment but uh that's a genius hookup i think to children of marvel royalty in a sense um and also smart people whatever it was (laughs) i'm doing a terrible job with this um I'm not the biggest Ben Grimm fan. I get why people like him. I totally get it. It's just not my thing. It's like how people like cottagecore. Not my thing. (laughs) I totally get the appeal. Uh, It does not appeal to me, Uh, but what was really cool about this issue in the end, the silver surfer arrives um, and kind of proves that, you know, no matter what prepping you guys have done for Galactus, I'm just his herald and you guys can't do shit about me. What are you going to do when Galactus shows up? So um, really brought some of those questions up. Um, and the next issue is going to be the 2000s. Um, and it'll have been 40 years of the Fantastic Four in the works. So I'm really curious how this series is going to end with the group as old people people old folks or possibly dying of old age i don't know we'll see homesick pilots number nine confirmed that the ghosts that we see in this series are all created through trauma Um, and you take the salt and they stay away from you which is great Um, however they kind of are taking over meg Um, and when her team tries to kind of rescue her she realizes that um, all of this needs to stop um, all of the the creating more trauma the house creating more trauma and all the ghosts and everything it needs to be ended um but there's ghosts everywhere all this trauma happens everywhere so um i don't know if there's gonna be a tenth i mean i know it's gonna be a tenth issue i don't know if there's gonna be anything beyond that it hasn't been solicited yet but i can't see this ending in an issue it's possible to happen i'm sure but um and the in the 10th issue solicitation if you've read it it does sound pretty final but um hoping that there's going to be more beyond that because the series has so much room to grow still i think spider-woman number 15 uh just real briefly this was jessica's niece Uh, We find out her mother's back, well, her backstory, I suppose, was that her mother died in childbirth because, prefacing all this, do you remember that really messed up storyline that was like a what if kind of, um, where Mary Jane got cancer because of having sex with Peter Parker? You get how that would work, right? Yeah, so apparently, um, Jessica Drew's brother did the same thing to his wife, <laughs> and, um, through her pregnancy, having his child basically killed her, and she ended up dying in childbirth, so, uh, that's her sad, tragic backstory. Now her father's a villain, and his new girlfriend is a villainess, um, and the kid gets a spider suit. Um it's kind of cool I guess to see a disabled kid being a superhero. Um but I really am, I'm I'm good with all the new characters, the new hero characters. I'm I'm good. We have so many new additions recently that just haven't stuck. Let's take it let's take a chill pill for a second. Um but this is fine. I still really love Carla Pacheco on Spider-Woman. Um I know this has been kind of an up and down with the Keegan Black and everything. Um But I think over her overall visual of what she wants to do with Jessica, I think is still really good. Ma number one, um, very, very dark. Um, This is a girl who goes out to a feminist retreat with her sister and she ends up going to a bar that night by herself. gets really drunk and gets roofied, I guess, and is molested. Um, and there are flashbacks of this is how happened to her before, um, where I guess she was in college and there were boys who filmed molesting her. And there are some really awful things said in the trial. Um, I should also mention this will be a, this issue, big trigger point for a lot of people. Um, there are not any punches pulled with the trauma that this woman goes through, um, and we don't know what it is yet that's going to be happening with her, but based on the few lines that we did get about the, the continuation of the plot, basically, it seems that she is getting transformed into kind of the embodiment of her, her rage, her disgust, her feelings of being trapped, all of that. Um, and that will, I'm imagining will end up lashing out at her, um, her attackers. But I, I, I'll I, probably try issue two. It was just, it was very heavy. Um, so we'll see if I end up sticking with that for the long haul. Titans United number one. The interior art was kind of meh in my opinion, especially compared to such a gorgeous cover. Um, But uh, the, the plot basically seems to be somebody is giving the powers of the Titans team members two random people and they have all kind of joined up to figure out what's going on. We're gonna move on now to Titans episode eight, which is titled Home. The episode starts off with Crane and Jason trying to break into the water supply for Gotham so that Crane can dump his drugs, which you remember is the no fear drugs, into the city's water supply. Uh, Jason though is pretty much done with him at this point and uh, gets him on the same page of of that by beating him unconscious. When he wakes up, there is some guy who works for the city doing a final inspection on the building um, and fills Crane in on the fact that the wall he was trying to get through was 10 feet of steel, and in the dude's own words, it would take the power of the sun to blow through. So, oh, um, who do we know that has that level of power? Actually, more than one person. So... (laughs) We can see what's going to happen here. Um, So Crane goes to his mom, Dr. Uh, Crane Sr., played by Deborah Hale. Um, She wants nothing to do with him and tears him a new one with her cutting words. She is a psychiatrist, after all and his mother. She can pinpoint his insecurities from a mile away and uses exactly the language that he understands to spit it at him in the most painful way. Which, he's a psycho. I totally get it. Feelings have been hurt and things have been said. But again, he's a psycho. And while it was satisfying to watch and wholly justified, her impressive speech only causes him to kill her, unsurprisingly. That and him having figured out that the cops arrived, well, she called the cops as soon as he arrived. Um, Really too bad they don't get in the room in time to save her or to capture her son, so another nice little failure there for the GCPD. It's also worth mentioning that in the comics, the Scarecrow's mother is called Karen Keeney. She is not a doctor of any kind. She does not seem to have any real important overall... Um, I don't know, importance, relevance to his character arc, as far as I can tell. Meanwhile, uh, after Jason left Crane, he went to some seedy underground Gotham live sex studio or something, uh, but ended up paying them to just roleplay as Hank and Don, which is obviously super weird, Uh, and the dude gets weirded out by it. Don't blame him. (laughs) And he leaves uh the girl stays for a little bit and tries to comfort him but then his time with them <laughs> runs out just the scene showing how messed up in the head he is that's all uh last week's episode actually ended with gar who beast boy finding a letter to jason from someone who seemed to be close to him uh, and this week we get to see her or we get to see him meet and speak with her it's molly jensen who is played by eve harlow who we can, uh,, we were briefly introduced to a few episodes back as a friend of Jason's, from if I recall just after he died, or after he, uh, quit being Robin or whatever, um, they, they talk and basically agree to keep each other in the loop and aware about Jason's comings and goings as best as they can. This leads to a conversation between all of the Titans about what to do about Jason. Do they kill him, jail him, or rehabilitate him? Gar reminds them of when he was taken over by, I believe it was Cadmus Labs, and was working against the team, and they took him back understandingly and afterwards. Um... While I would argue that is extremely different from the situation that Jason has been putting them through, um, it it it's worth considering, you know, that mistakes have been made, he has been manipulated. But is it possible to completely rehabilitate someone like that? I don't know. But in any case, this conversation does seem to get through to Uh, the other team members, enough for them to stop arguing about killing him, at the very least. Also, (laughs) did I forget to mention? Commander and Connor are doing the dirty. (laughs) I knew it, I called it, I was right. Uh, There was a scene earlier on with them cuddling in bed naked, while Blackfire shows him various planets in the solar system on some high-tech, no doubt tamarinian 3d hologram thing in the air above their bed and now we see a whole scene of them going at it which was wild uh, they uh, got really good chemistry and also more importantly below the bed while they're doing it there is some kind of purple, flamey glow beneath the bed. It's obviously coming from Blackfire, who we believe doesn't have powers, or at least not that she knows of. So maybe we'll find out that she just needed a nurturing environment for it to develop. That would count as that. Uh, but also... um, As much as I think that this is adorable as hell, this does leave a little bit too much room for them to do the classic false betrayal plot where Commander is tricked into believing that Connor betrays her somehow and turns against the Titans in turn, uh, who in turn just really assume that she's, oh, she's just evil. Okay. Uh, But anyway, they are enjoying Kato's company very much when Starfire walks in. Uh, Thankfully, she is in another one of her dream states, vision quests, whatever you want to call it. So when her sister wakes her, Connor has already left, and she doesn't know what was going on but the vision state is still an issue, so Coriander goes back to the sensory deprivation bath to try and see if she can get a clear look at what the vision is. In her mind, she's clearly, or she she sees herself in an empty theater. As she stands, there is a woman who appears, possibly her mother, who points to the stage and screams, and when Starfire looks, there is a baby in a carriage, or at least a baby carriage, and the woman is gone. On the stage, she opens up the baby carriage to see what appears to be herself as a baby, glowing green eyes and all. And she wakes up in a seemingly random location as herself, you know, in the in the normal time and everything in the real world. And she has been watched over this whole time by her sister and Connor, who have followed her up here. Uh, and no one really understands why she stopped here. Before they all go their separate ways, though, she does say to the other two, Hey, so you two are sleeping together? (laughs) Which is really funny. And in the car, it is, of course, very awkward. Blackfire says that they should break up, pretend that it was nothing. O'Connor Connor admits that he can't pretend that it's nothing because it was his first time, period. (laughs) Very cute, I guess. And Blackfire is clearly very pleased with that. Um, On the Dick and Barbara side of things, it looks like their relationship has been made at least somewhat public and they're meant to be attending a gala together. Babs is dressed but at the office, of course, and Dick is trying to get out on time from the Wayne Manor. He's interrupted by what was a delightful surprise, in my opinion, Tim Drake, who is stopping by to say that he knows he's Nightwing and Bruce Wayne is Batman. What does he want? To be the next Robin. He knows Jason is bred Hood, but figures he was wrong about his theory for Jason being a Robin since Robin died. I got really jazzed about this, honestly, because this is exactly how Tim Drake gets the job as Robin in the comics. Dick is the first, Jason was the real charity case, and then he's the one who died, but Tim... Tim was the only Robin who got the job by earning it. He earned it by figuring out Bruce Wayne was Batman and confronting him. He made sure to even work to get to the level of detective skills and physical skills that Batman could use him. Um, So that's why Tim Drake has a lot of fans. He is the smartest Robin, easily. Um, And again, I doubt that we're going to be seeing Damien Robin, um, the blood Robin, Um, So this will probably end, I'm guessing this season is going to end with Tim Drake being Dick's Robin, we'll see. Um, But Dick is still trying to get out to that party, so he doesn't have any time or clue really what to do with Tim, so he just denies and denies. um, But he still utilizes something that Tim tells him. He says he figured out who Jason was, by his gait, his walking pattern. So while Dick is heading out, he calls Babs and has her use her tech to, to do that all over the city, which I have to admit, it's a tiny bit lame superhero techie moment, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, they do find him using that system and Dick tries to catch up with him on his motorcycle, but gets hit by a car. And as he passes out, he sees Jason standing over him. And when he wakes, he's in the hospital, and Barbara has stayed with him all night, missing her fancy gala. Uh, Clearly, they both very much care about each other. Dick figures Jason was the one who called the paramedics to save his life. With that in mind, he thinks maybe he can get through to Jason somehow, still. Oh, and it's also worth mentioning that Dick has started hallucinating. (laughs) It seems to be stuff all related to the time around when he first became Robin as a kid but I'm not really sure yet why. Um, potentially to get him to become Batman, I don't know. Um, using Molly, who was the friend of Jason's, if you don't recall, uh, using Molly through Gar and a series of communications, the message finally gets to Dick that Jason wants to meet uh, alone beneath the tunnels of Gotham where Batman would take them. Unfortunately, Crane gets a whip of this plan and Tim is hot on Jason's trail. Basically what's happening here is too many cooks in the kitchen. (laughs) There's too too many people trying to go on different, finding this person, doing that, screwing over this person. There's just too much, it's a mess. It's a mess in Gotham right now. (laughs) Dick and Jason are able to talk and Tim tries to make his move, but that's not before he runs into Scarecrow himself right outside the building they're in. Um, and Scarecrow has a gun, so of course he shoots Tim, hits him in the back as he's running away, because he's a coward! Crane, not Tim. Um, after they're done talking, Jason comes out and finds Tim on the ground there in a pool of blood. He asks Tim what he was doing there, and he can barely respond with the fact that he wanted to be Robin. Oh god, saying that to Jason, who was his role model who's fallen so far, oh my god. Ouch. when they all go to confront the scarecrow again, it's a trap unsurprisingly uh, and Starfire's attack ends up blowing um, that hole that Crane needed with the power of the sun. She blows that hole for him uh, into the Gotham water supply, taking the chemicals into the water with it. So Gotham's water is tainted and it happens to be at the same time that a steady leak in commissioner Gordon's office ceiling bursts Spraying water all over her desk—that's clearly going to become a problem for the people in her office. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. It was a lot of forward movement um, for some of the key characters, and as a lot of people have pointed out, this is episode eight, and we still haven't seen Donna and Raven, who are still meant to have their own plot lines in this series. Uh, for now, I'm I'm really happy with the characters that we're seeing. Um, but I can't help but wonder if they will take this particular moment to pause and show us something else, making us wait to find out what happens with Tim. Finally, let's talk What If Episode 6. This episode premiered Wednesday the 15th on Disney+, and it was titled What If Eric Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark? The things that you will want to be... Um, probably have seen before you watch this episode for context reasons would be Iron Man, Age of Ultron, and Black Panther. Returning cast members we have Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, Chadwick Boseman is back again, late Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda, John Kani as King T'Chaka, Andy Serkis as Ulysses C. Claw, Denai Guerrera Guerrera as Okoye. Um, And then Don Cheadle as James Rhodes, John Favreau as Happy Hogan, Paul Bettany as Jarvis, and Leslie Bibb as reporter Christine Everhart. Um, People who did not return, we did not have Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. He was replaced by Mick Wingert. Uh, We also had Beth Hoyt replacing uh, good old What's-Her-Name as Pets or Pepper Potts. And then we have uh, Asioma Agaki, Playing a much younger Shuri than we've seen in the movies, and, and that guy called Mike McGookil as General Ross, and then Kiff Vander oof, sorry, as Obadiah Stane. In that infamous first attack in the Middle East in Iron Man, the bomb that lands next to Tony does not go off and almost ends his life. Instead, it is picked up by Navy SEAL Eric Stevens, codenamed Killmonger, and dispatched. He wipes out the attackers, saving Tony, and causing him to never have to become Iron Man. Instead, he's just regular asinine Tony. He makes Killmonger his chief of security, who immediately outs Obadiah Stane as the real villain in that desert attack, and takes the security promotion from Happy, as well as Stane's COO position. He and Tony are buds, at least from Tony's perspective. He shows him the vibranium ring that he has, and his plans to make unmained attack drones like giant mech robots called Liberators. Tony, being Tony, wants to impress him and decides to go ahead and create that machine. To find more vibranium, Killmonger and Rhodes meet with Ulysses Claw, who is, of course, Andy Serkis, in a twisted version of the scene where we met him in Age of Ultron. And he gives Killmonger a vibranium Wakandan spear and offers to sell the U.S. government the rest of his stock of vibranium. Uh, That is before they are all attacked by none other than a somewhat younger black panther t'challa still killmonger (laughs) is able to kill his cousin um who is black panther and he also kills roadie of course this does not take stark long to figure it out and he coroners eric back in the stark facility about this um, with the machine of his own design Um, in an attempt to take him out privately at home. Of course, this does not go the way Tony plans, and Killmonger ends up using the Wakandan spear to destroy the machine and then kill Tony, but not before making him suffer both physically and emotionally, as he admits to only ever manipulating his dumb, egotistical butt. (laughs) It's a pretty bad way to go, Tony. No heroic savior this time uh after this killmonger makes it look like stark was killed in an attack from wakanda and the u.s ends up going to war using the killmonger liberator robot designs the army flies out and killmonger approaches the border with claw once claw shows him how to get in he kills claw and then brings him to the wakandans as a peace offering He fills them in on who he is and all the American plans, and when the U.S. Army comes, he successfully uses the Wakandan shield to block off the signal to the bots, shutting them down within the Wakandan borders. But since he still wants to be the hero of the hour, he secretly reboots them, and the battle begins for real while shuri and her father tachaka stay and watch the battle from the palace killmonger leads the second wave shouting wakanda forever a few times in a way that really didn't sound right coming from him it was sounded really awkward coming from him Uh, but what was cooler about that whole battle scene was seeing that queen romanda was actually the Wakandan general. We get to see her in her warrior outfit, fighting and winning, and it is just so cool. I wish we could have seen something like that in the MCU. I absolutely love that. I bet Angela Bassett could have done it. She's not that old. She's only like in her fifties. That's not old. She could have done it. <laughs> After all of this goes down and they win the battle, it only makes sense for their, uh, for from their perspective to make the new. Black Panther be Eric which they do (laughs) when he goes into the spirit world though T'Challa is the one who approaches him asking if it was worth it Uh, there was something that I saw in some article online that I kind of paraphrased here Um, that was there was some parts in this episode um, involving T'Challa that definitely got me Um, (laughs) what it said about basically what it said on that article was that, um, the Lord episode was a celebration of T'Challa that talked up his potential to make the universe a better place. The zombie episode had him, had him give a meaningful speech about remembering the dead and keeping their memories in your heart. Similar to what we saw in the MCU. Now we see T'Challa's casket and we see him appearing as a spirit and how the dead are never really gone again. Um, I think that they're, when I picture how they're gonna start the movie Wakanda Forever, I kind of picture like, on one side, it's I picture like a While You Were Gone kind of fun video, the, the way that, you know, they did at the school in Spider-Man. Um, but it would be really, really sad, <laughs> because it would be explaining how T'Challa died. Um, or the other option would be just start with the funeral, which is basically, we saw a little bit of it here in this What If episode, but that would be the other way I could see it happening. Just start with the funeral, carrying his casket to wherever it goes, um, just cover that without really explaining it. I don't know. Um, but that's, again, that's, I'm all of us are going to be sobbing when that movie comes out. They're going to make sure of it. (laughs) Uh, But in the end, I haven't finished this even, in the end of the episode, uh, it does seem as if Killmonger has won everything he's ever wanted until we see Pepper Potts returning to her office to find the young Shuri waiting for her, all the truth about Killmonger in her hand. Um, So it's time to let the little girl handle things. She knows what's up. That wraps up today's episode of Sensational She Geek, live from Yancey Street. Thank you very much for listening to whatever portion of the episode you were able to listen to. I will be back this coming Monday, the 20th of September, with an episode that will be focusing on the next comic book poll list for the week. Um, And then I'm going to be going into December solicitations, meaning uh, stuff for Marvel and DC that I've been announced for coming out into December. It's a little bit early, but they've already put those out. So I will be going over whatever, um, relevant or noteworthy things that are in those December announcements for what's coming out for Marvel and DC. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. Um, uh, if you do have any questions, comments, or concerns or anything like that, feel free to reach out across any of my social medias or anywhere that you listen to the podcast, And I would love to hear your feedback and et cetera, comments, <laughs> have a good week. We're getting into fall next by, Ooh, I think by the time we get to, to Monday episode, it's almost going to be, um, officially fall. So weather is starting to get a little bit cooler where you are. I hope, um, Don't get a cold, wear a mask, follow the rules, don't be a dick, and get sweaty about comics.